Uh, I want to begin by just asking this question that when you think about days to remember in your life, uh, what are those days? Like where something maybe significant or so memorable happened that on this day you'll never forget when this took place. What would that day be? What was it that took place that uh, you'll never forget? Uh, maybe for some, it's just as simple as maybe it's a birthday or a birthday of uh, one of your loved ones or someone in your family, or maybe the day that you'll never forget is the day of an anniversary, uh, whether it's the anniversary maybe of a wedding or anniversary of a new job or a graduation. It's safe to say we all have days that we will always remember and never forget. Uh, It's true not only in a personal way, but also when we think about it in a national way, there are days set aside in our country, days that are marked that we are never to forget, whether it's things like Martin Luther King Day or Memorial Day or Veterans Day. There's just different holidays in our country uh, that we celebrate as a way to remember and never forget. So whatever day that you are thinking about currently, whether it's personal or maybe a national Behind that day is a story. Behind that memory is an experience that you had on that day. And very often, the story and the experience somehow shaped you. It shaped who you are. It shapes how you live. It shaped how you think. For example, on July 4th, 1776, we declared our freedom from Great Britain And freedom is a great value to us as a people, to us as a country. Freedom is something that we will seek uh, to promote. Freedom is something that we are willing to fight for as well. When we signed that Declaration of Independence 243 years ago, that declaration forever shaped who we are as a people, who we are as a country, namely freedom. Now, today, I want to share with you a day that forever shapes the people of God, a day that they would never forget moving forward. It was actually such a significant day in their story, uh, in their lives, that it redefined the beginning of their calendar for them, and it would be a day that would be remembered for generations and generations to come. Now, if you've been at Genesis uh, over the recent uh, few weeks, few months, we've been walking through the story of Exodus. And over the past four weeks, we've been walking through the different plagues, the 10 plagues uh, that ultimately devastated and destroyed the nation of Egypt. And as we've shared over this past month uh, in particular, every plague was intended to reveal to Pharaoh, as well as the people of Egypt, the power and the majesty and the sovereignty of God. With every plague that came, all 10 of them, uh, we see over and over and over again that God is defeating the gods of Egypt. All of these plagues are intended to help the people, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, even the people of God, see that there is no God like our God, like Yahweh. But regardless of being defeated over and over and over again, Pharaoh's heart towards God still remained incredibly hard. And not only hard towards God, but his heart remained hard towards the people of God in that he still refused to let the people of God go so that they could worship God. Now, up until this point in the Exodus story, nine plagues have come and gone. But in many ways, all of the plagues that 
have happened have been leading up to this 10th plague. The 10th plague by far is the most powerful and the most personal plague yet because it's the death of the firstborn. In Exodus 11, Moses told Pharaoh that this plague, this final plague, was coming at midnight. Now, despite Pharaoh actually being warned that this plague would be coming, his heart remained hard towards God and remained hard towards the people of God. And so the day that Egypt would remember forever is the day the tenth and final plague arrived. But the day Israel, the Hebrews' people, would remember forever is the day that God passed them over. The story that we're looking at today in Exodus 12 is the story of the Passover. Now, in Exodus 12, uh, there's two specific sets of instructions that are given. First, God speaks to Moses and Aaron and says, here is the instructions for the Passover. They are then to take those instructions and then tell the leaders and the people of God the instructions that God had given them. So for today's purposes, I just want to focus in on what God spoke to Moses and Aaron as to what they were to share with the people, and then specifically look at how the people responded to the instructions that God had given them to the people. So this is in Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. Now, if a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to, accordingly to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either sheep or goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night, they must roast the meat over fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including head, legs, internal organs, must be roasted over fire. Do not leave any of it until next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before the morning. These are your instructions for eating the meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat this meal with urgency. Now, Lots happening there, but what's happening here in Exodus 12 is so significant that what God tells to Moses and to Aaron is, from now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. What God is telling them and telling the people of God, something so significant is going to happen on this day that it is a new beginning for you, so we're going to mark the calendar as this is day one. God changed the calendar for the people of Israel so that they would always remember and never forget what God did for them, namely how they got to see the justice of God, but also how they got to see the salvation of God. 
I want to first look at the separate instructions that God gave to Moses and Aaron, specifically five things that he told the people of God to do. Number one, I want you to tell everyone. That's the first thing that God tells Moses and Aaron is tell everyone. This message of Passover was not just for certain people or some people. It was for all of the people of God, announced to the whole community. So this message is not just for like the leaders and the spiritual people and the moral people and the religious people. The message of Passover was for all people in all of the community. Second thing is, they say, God told Moses and Aaron, you need to pick one lamb or goat for each family. So on the 10th day of every month, each family was to select a year-old male lamb or goat that would ultimately be sacrificed for that family. Now, if it was a smaller family, there's a provision that's made that two families can get together, but the point is those two families would have to share one year old male goat or lamb. Now, the most important detail not to be missed in this instruction here about this one-year-old male lamb or goat is that it needed to be perfect. It could have no blemish. It could have absolutely no defect. It needed to be perfect or spotless. Third instruction that is given, they're to welcome this animal into their home. They are to care for this animal for a period of four days. So each family is to take special care of this lamb, of this animal. In the same way that we welcome pets into our homes and love on them and care for them and provide for them, This is the instruction. I want you to welcome this animal, this lamb, into your home so that a special bond would be formed between the family and the animal. And then the fourth instruction is given. They are to kill this lamb. They are to slaughter this lamb. After four days of having this animal in their home, at twilight on the fourth day, which would be then the 14th day, they are to sacrifice the lamb that they had been caring for. And before they were to prepare that meal or prepare the lamb for a meal, they were told to do something that had never been done before. They were told to do something that they had never heard of before. Remember in verse 7, it said this, take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they would eat the animal. They'd never heard that command before. Kill the animal and then take some of the blood and smear it on the frames, the door frames of your home. The fifth instructions that are given uh, to Moses and Aaron about Passover is this. Then prepare that lamb for dinner. God gave very specific instructions of how this meal was to be prepared, namely that the lamb or the goat was to be roasted or grilled over fire, and it was to be served with bitter salad greens uh, as well as bread made without yeast. If any leftovers, can't be leftovers, so you would have to burn everything if there were leftovers to be had. So there was instructions given for how they should prepare the meal, but they were also given instructions in how they were to dress for the meal. See, this meal was not like a Thanksgiving dinner where you get dressed in like two, three size pants bigger than you normally wear or just sweatpants and eat as much as you possibly can eat. And then you've got nice comfortable clothing on because after the meal is over, then you can just lounge around and take a really long nap. This is not a Thanksgiving meal. This is a meal that was a eat and run type of a meal. It says in verse 11, be fully dressed, wear sandals, carry walking stick in your hand, eat the meal with a sense of urgency. 
All right, so these were the instructions that God gave to Moses and to Aaron, instructions that then they were to give to all of the people of Israel. Now, as best as you possibly can, I want you to try to imagine what it would be like to hear these instructions given to you for the very first time. You might be familiar with this story and heard aspects of this story, but as best you can, just think for a moment what it would have been like to hear these instructions given to you for the very first time. You want us to welcome an animal into our home. You want us to welcome a lamb into our home and to care for this animal for four days. And then you want us to slaughter this animal. And as this animal is bleeding out, you want us to catch some of that blood and then take the blood and smear it on the sides and, and door frames of our house. Well, just like you, I'm guessing they would be wondering, why? Why on earth would we do that? I'm, I'm guessing, just like all of us, they would be wondering, what logical reason could there be for doing something such as this? I'm guessing at some point, we've all wrestled with this question that was fresh on their minds this day. God, why on earth would you want us to do that? We might not always be able to answer the question of why, but as I've been thinking about what must have been going through their minds, I wrote this note in my journal this week. There is nothing ever arbitrary or random in what God is doing or in what God asks us to do. There's nothing ever arbitrary or random in God's work in our life. There's nothing random or arbitrary in what God asks us to do, nothing random or arbitrary about it. There is always great intentionality in God's commands. Now, our inability to see or understand what God is doing does not diminish His one overarching purpose in all of our lives, which is this, that we might glorify Him alone. God's always at work in our lives so that we might see Him and know Him and understand Him, that we might worship and honor and glorify God for who He is. So God would be moving this night so that people then and everyone else who would hear the story for generations to come after them would be in awe of who God is and namely what God did for His people that night. The key to understanding the Passover, the key to understanding Exodus 12 is really found in verse 11 when it says this, for this is the Lord's Passover. See, this night, the Passover, it belonged to God. This night and this Passover was about God. All these instructions that God gave to Moses to give to the people was so that they would not miss seeing the power of God's judgment, but that they would also not miss seeing and experiencing the power of God's salvation. So after these instructions were given to Moses, God explains what his Passover, not their Passover, but what his Passover would mean for Egypt, but also for the people of Israel. So it says in verse 12, on that night, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. Now keep in mind, all of the plagues are a picture of God's power 
over Egypt's false gods that they had worshipped. But with this tenth plague, the plague, uh, the death of the firstborn son, the judgment of God against the gods of Egypt and those that worshipped them had arrived in full. I know when we start talking about the judgment of God, it gets uncomfortable because it's easier to talk about things like the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God. But when we start talking about God being a God who judges, we start to squirm a little bit and get uncomfortable. What we need to understand is that if we're going to truly comprehend how amazing His grace, His love, His mercy actually is, well, then we need to feel the weight of a God who is holy and judges humanity for their sin. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, both the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, one of the things that the Bible never shies away from is reminding humanity of our sin. The Bible never shies away from reminding us that we have sinned against a holy and a perfect God. One of the New Testament authors, his name is Paul, in a letter he wrote said this, when Adam sinned, Adam was the very first man, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Now, I've never met one person who claimed to be perfect. Haven't met that person, but I have met a lot of people who would say, yeah, I get it, I've sinned, but my sin is not like really that big or really that bad. Here's the problem with that. When we begin to categorize sin in like lists of really big and bad sins, and then we have a separate list of small and insignificant sins, not only will we begin to minimize the beauty and the power of God's salvation, but we'll actually begin to turn the tables on God, meaning we'll begin to judge the judge. Like, my sin is not that big, it's not that bad. Why does God have to make such a big deal? It was just such a small thing. I looked at this, I said this, I thought this. It's not like I killed anyone. It's not like I really hurt someone. It's not like I cheated on my spouse. It's not, and we come up with these lists. And we start judging the judge of who does he think he is. This is such a small, insignificant thing. Well, the 10th plague is a reminder that God is a just judge who does not just sweep sin under some cosmic carpet. The 10th plague reminds us that God is a just judge, but it also reminds us that this just judge is incredibly merciful. It says the Passover, his Passover goes on, starting in verse 13, it says this, but the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign marking the house, houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death, it will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is a day to remember each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. See, what may have seemed very arbitrary before, the perfect lamb and the blood on the doorframe, well, now it's beginning to make perfect sense. The blood from a perfect lamb was a sign both for the people and it was also a sign for God. Death passed over them because they were under the blood of the perfect lamb. So when God looked at that house and saw blood on the doorpost, 
in effect, God would have said the penalty in this house has been paid. The blood of the blood of that lamb served as a sign that judgment had already fallen on that house. See, God was going to make a distinction with Israel and Egypt, but he was making a distinction between Egypt and Israel, not because Israel was somehow innocent and without sin. God was judging both Egypt and Israel. The difference was Israel was being covered by the blood of the perfect lamb. So this, to me, is both the beauty and the power of God's Passover, of God's salvation. God gives what God demands. God always gives what God demands, meaning God's justice demanded perfection. So God provided the lamb, remember, lamb that was perfect, spotless, without blemish, to meet that demand. Now think about God's Passover that night. Who do you think would have appreciated that lamb more than anyone else. I'm guessing the firstborn son would have been really thankful that the lamb had been sacrificed for him. The firstborn did not have to die because the lamb died in his place. So we see with God's Passover, with God's salvation, God is teaching them about something called substitutionary atonement. The blood on the doorpost signified that they had a substitute, or the lamb died in their place. Now, not to be missed, what is happening here with God's Passover is ultimately foreshadowing of the work God would do through Jesus. If you were to fast forward 1,300, roughly 1,300 years later, when Jesus would begin his ministry, this is what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus coming. It says in John 1, the next day... John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Christ, we see clearly again, God gives what God demands. And if sinful people would not only have sin atoned for, meaning our sins paid for, but also be made right with God, meaning we could be made righteous in light of a holy God, well, God would have to provide a means for our atonement and a means for our righteousness. This is the beauty of Jesus. He provided both. Because Jesus was perfect, meaning without sin, Jesus serves as our Passover lamb. This is what one of Jesus' followers, Peter, said. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Because Jesus was perfect and without sin, he also serves as our righteousness. It says in Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in the same way that the Passover lamb that night, Jesus, uh, the lamb served as their substitute as well as their salvation. This is what Jesus has done for each of us. So when we look to the cross, we see that payment has been made for our sins. And when God looks down on the cross, he sees the blood of his own son and declares the penalty has been paid in that house or in that life. How did they respond to God's Passover? How did they respond to God's salvation? It says in Exodus 12, when Moses had finished speaking... All the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. 
their first response in hearing what God was doing for them in his Passover was to bow down in a posture of humility and to worship God for both being just, but also for being a God who is merciful. And then it says, the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. What I want you to see here is for those people to respond in doing everything that Moses had commanded, it took faith to choose a lamb. It took faith to sacrifice the lamb. It took faith to put blood on their homes, on their doors. So these men and women who were there and experienced this Passover, God's Passover, are saved or were saved in the exact same way that you and I experience salvation, by grace through faith alone. God provided the lamb. That's a picture of grace. Again, this is Paul speaking in Corinthians, but he says this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So again, God provided the lamb, a picture of grace. But then secondly, we see they trusted in the lamb. That's a picture of faith. Moses, in the New Testament, is, uh, is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. And it says this, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn son. Again, by grace, through faith alone, God provides the lamb, that's grace. We trust in the lamb, that's an example of faith. My question for all of us is simply this. When God sees you, does he see the covering of Jesus that Jesus has provided for you, or does he still see you in your sin? Because when God sees us, he's either going to see the blood of Christ that we have trusted and has covered us, or he's going to see us still in our sin. Like the Passover, the lamb has been provided for all of us. It's just a question of, will we respond to God's Passover, God's salvation through faith? Go back to maybe 25 minutes ago when I asked you the question, what day is a day you'll never forget? What is a day in your life that you will always remember? I don't know if you remember what your answer was, but my question is this. Did any one of us think, gosh, the day that I'll never forget, the day that I'll always remember foremost above all things is the day that salvation came to your house, is the day that salvation came into your home, into your life? Now, you might not remember the exact day and the exact hour and that exact moment, but I can promise all of us this, that the greatest day any one of us will ever experience and ever have is the day that Jesus made us a friend of God. The day that will shape all other days in our life is the day that Jesus made us a friend of God. I have many memories and many days that I'll never forget. I'll never forget February 14th, 1998, when Kyla said yes. Never forget my anniversary. I'll never forget the day that each of my three kids were born. I'll never forget a few different anniversaries that have been meaningful for me and meaningful for us even as a church. We celebrate one September 1st, 2009 will be, uh, this uh, September 1st will mark 10 years as a church. I'll never forget that. But the day that has forever reshaped, redefined 
every other day, every other memory in my life is a day that Jesus made me a friend of God. The men and women who experienced God's Passover thousands of years ago, it was a day they never forgot. I hope and I pray for me and for all of us that the day that you and I will never forget is the day that Jesus made us friends of God. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is when Paul is speaking so clearly about what Jesus actually has done for us. And he says this, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation, his judgment. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. His Passover made them friends with God. And I don't just mean buddies. I mean the people of God had right relationship restored with God because of the Passover lamb. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is what Jesus has done for me, what he's done for all of us. It's just the question of when God looks at you, does he see the work of Christ and you trusting the work of Christ to be made right with God or does he still see you separated from him because of sin? I hope and I pray that your response to God's Passover, not your Passover, but God's Passover in our lives is one of worship and one of humility. To say, God, thank you for providing a way for me to be friends with you. And today, if you have yet to make that decision to say, God, I want to be friends with you, there is only one way, and it's through the Passover lamb that is Jesus. Let your response to him today be Jesus trust you for what you have done for me to make me right with God.